Lord Jesus, those words that you said to that lady at the end of that reading are life-changing. They're eternity-changing. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And Lord, I pray that as we reflect on those words together, as we think about that encounter that you had with that lady and with Simon, Lord, that you would speak to us and speak into our life those same wonderful words of promise. That we'd know your love. That we'd know your true peace. I ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the middle of a series looking at some encounters that people had with Jesus uh, through the Gospel of Luke, taking some of the stories where different kinds of people met with Jesus and in many occasions had their life turned around by meeting him, uh, had a life which was heading in one direction and through meeting Jesus and responding to who he was and what he'd come to do, saw their life completely turn around in another direction. And this lady is another great example of that. A key turning point in her life was meeting Jesus and encountering his love and his grace and his forgiveness. Now, I bet if you look back over your life so far, you could probably identify a few key turning points. There might be some which are decisions that you've made. There might be some times where your life has taken a radical turn from something that was out of your hands. Could be a good thing, could be a harder thing. But if you look back, you'll probably be able to sort of plot where those key things occurred, which have led you on that journey, as it were, of life so far. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then there'll be a, a really key one when you came to realize for yourself that Jesus is alive, that Jesus loves you, and that you wanted to follow him and trust him. We have those key turning points all the way through our life, just like this lady does in this encounter with Jesus here. I was trying to think this week about some of the ones in my own life. And the one that really stood out to me, actually, was uh, that sense that God had called us to come here, to be part of the church family in Wick. And uh, we were, at the time, sorry, some of you will know this, but those of you who don't, we were just up the road in Angering, just a few miles up the road. I was a curate, just like Mark uh, is here. And we had a phone call from the bishop's chaplain, sort of, um, he's like the civil service in the church. And... Uh, he rang me up out of the blue one day and said, the bishop wants to see you tomorrow. It wasn't, are you free tomorrow? Or when are you available to come and see the bishop? It was, the bishop wants to see you tomorrow. So I was obviously a nervous young curate. I said, okay, yeah, I'll be there. Uh, and then I quickly rang my boss, the vicar of the church where I was the curate. And I, I went to him for wisdom, uh, for reassurance, uh, for, for compassion, uh, for understanding, for a a gentle word that would calm my fears about why the bishop had phoned me. I, I went to him very much as a mentor, as a father figure, if you like, with that word of peace that would just settle my anxiety about why the bishop had insisted on seeing me the next day. And I, I picked up the phone looking for this wonderful word of encouragement, and I said, Mark, the bishop has said I've got to go and see him tomorrow. And the wisdom of his ministry and the generosity and the gentleness which he held me, he said... Why? What have you done? <laughs> and that conjured up in my mind an image from The Simpsons where um, Homer has to go and see Mr. Burns, his boss. And he's done something wrong. I think he might be asking for his job back. It's a long time since I've seen it. And he goes back up to Mr. Burns' office 
uh, and he's not allowed in through the main door. He has to crawl back in through a special door that looks a bit like a cat flap. So he crawls up to his boss on his hands and his knees to ask for uh, his job back, to ask for forgiveness. And I had terrible pictures. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the bishop's palace, uh, but I imagine there was a special door for people that were in trouble. Uh, and I might have to crawl up to... I didn't even know what I'd done. Uh, I had to crawl up to the bishop uh, to ask for his forgiveness for wh- whatever it was. In the end, it turned out that he was said, do you know what, Tom, I think that maybe uh, God is calling you to move to Wick. So actually, it was a really lovely turning point in our life because it's what... Um, guided us here. Um, But I'm not sure I've completely forgiven Mark. Um, (laughs) And so perhaps I need to listen to our story, our message of forgiveness this morning as well. But maybe you have some turning points in your life. You can look back and identify those moments when you shifted course. Something happened. It might have been a God thing that turned your path. Well, do you see how Jesus created this turning point for this lady in this encounter at Simon's house. It's a Pharisee, uh, but a Pharisee who's willing to invite Jesus to have dinner with him. We've got to uh, perhaps remind ourselves sometimes, if we're used to reading the Bible, the Pharisees come up a lot, and, and at times Jesus has some very strong words, very strong words for people who really should have known better, very religious people. But actually, a number of the religious leaders were genuinely interested in Jesus and what he had to say. We, we shouldn't forget that. Uh, Life is often much more complex than we tend to simplify it. Well, here is a Pharisee who's invited Jesus to have dinner with him, and and Jesus has accepted. Jesus would eat with anybody. He didn't have a sort of a list of people that he wouldn't go and be with. He would eat with anybody, from the most religious observant down to the people that no one else would eat with. Jesus would go and eat with them. So he goes there. And a woman in that town who'd lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating there. So she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. We're not given an awful lot of detail about this lady. We're not actually told her name. It bears some similarities to the story of uh, Mary Magdalene. But I think actually when you, you notice the differences, this is, a, this is a different encounter. This is not the same as when Jesus met Mary Magdalene for a few reasons. One is this appears at the beginning, near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, whereas he meets Mary actually during that. The, the encounter with Mary happens during uh, the week leading up to um, Good Friday. Uh, that we're not told this lady's name, that the objection in this case isn't the waste of money, but that she's touching Jesus, and it's in someone else's house. So I think this is a different encounter, although it does have some similarities to that. We're not given a lot of detail about who this lady is. We're just told that she's a lady who'd lived a sinful life, and we can draw our own conclusions from that. And she stands behind Jesus as he's at the table, and she's weeping. She's crying. And she begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. She wipes his feet with her hair. She kisses them and pours this perfume over them. It's always an interesting decision for vicars or ministers around Holy Week as to whether we're going to reenact the foot washing uh, on Maundy Thursday evening, whether we could uh, self-select people that we're going to do it for and send them on some sort of pedicure during the week before so that (laughs) They're already well prepared for what's going to happen. His feet are kind of one of those sort of, you know, we use them for walking, don't we? They're not kind of the cleanest part of the body. Imagine being in this culture uh, where you would have been very dusty, very dirty, uh, potentially quite muddy, open shoes. This lady is washing Jesus' feet with her tears. She's drying his feet with her hair, and she's kissing his feet. It is an extraordinary act it is it's an offensive act 
it turns out, because Simon can't believe that Jesus, who's obviously setting himself up at this stage, seems to be setting himself up as some sort of holy man, is allowing this lady who no one else would even really have allowed to go near them, he's allowing her to do this most extraordinarily sort of intimate and heartbreaking act of worship. As she stands there crying behind Jesus, the tears themselves flow over his feet. And she washes his feet. It's a turning point in her life. Whatever has gone on before, we can see how she was known and defined by the people around her. Her identity to everybody else was summed up in the fact that she'd led a sinful life. And yet in this moment, she encounters Jesus. Jesus who allows her to show this act of worship. And when the Pharisee, uh, Simon, starts to complain about it, Jesus tells this story. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Two people owed money to a moneylender. One owed him 500 and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And he turned towards the woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Just put yourself in that lady's shoes for a moment. You could very easily say, oh, I, I could never be in her shoes. I would, I would never have done the things that she must have done it's easy to say that. But just put yourself in her shoes for a moment. Think about how everybody else saw you. They knew. They knew the life that you'd led. They knew the things you did. They knew everything about you and they defined you by it. And then into that environment steps this man, Jesus, who's unlike everybody else. This man who we've already seen has the power to heal, the power to raise the dead. The power to say things that no one else could say. This extraordinary holy man steps into that situation with this lady and he says, her sins are forgiven. Just put yourself in her shoes and imagine yourself looking into the eyes of Jesus. Looking into the eyes of God. A holy God. A God who cannot tolerate sin. A God who can't be with uh, people who are less than holy and pure. And that God looks you in the eyes as this lady who's defined by all the things you've done wrong and they're public things and public knowledge. And this Jesus looks you in the eyes and he says, with a smile on his face, your sins are forgiven. It's a transformational moment. It's a life-changing encounter. In fact, it's an eternity-changing encounter. 
Because she's come to Jesus and Jesus who sees our hearts, sees that this act of worship that this lady pours out is a sign that she's coming to him in repentance. She wants her life to turn around. She knows. She knows what her life has been. She knows, I'm sure, that it's not what God wanted for her. And then when she meets God, he turns her life around. He loves her. And because he's able to forgive her so much, she loves him so much. It's a turning point in her life. You see, the extraordinary thing about God's grace, the wonderful thing about God's grace is that it doesn't pretend that the things that we've done wrong don't matter. Sometimes people hear about God forgiving us, and it sounds like God just says, don't worry about that, let's pretend it never happened, we'll just move on. That's not what God's grace is all about. God's grace takes the seriousness of sin head on. It's serious enough that the Son of God had to die on a cross for it, for us, for the ways that we've all turned away from God. Okay, we might not have lived the life that this lady has, but all of us in our hearts at times have said, no, thank you, God, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to live as if I'm in charge and you don't really exist. That sin, that breakdown of relationship with God is serious enough that Jesus himself had to die on the cross for it. God's forgiveness doesn't ignore the seriousness of the things that this lady or we have done. It tackles them head on. And that is what is so wonderful about it. A pseudo-forgiveness that simply tries to ignore the things that have gone wrong or relationships that have broken down doesn't build a strong future. It's very shallow and very thin. You can go on for a little while pretending that someone hasn't hurt you or someone hasn't upset you or they haven't said those things or done those things or not done those things. You can try and pretend like it never happens. But that is not real forgiveness. That's just trying to forget. And one time, one day or another, those things will crop up again. No, Jesus' forgiveness is a real forgiveness. It takes those things that we've done wrong and it nails them to the cross and it says the price is paid. Your sin, your debt is forgiven. Jesus has done it, and he leaves it there. It dies there with him on the cross so that the new us, the forgiven us, can rise again with him. As he rises to new life, we rise with him as forgiven people, as loved people. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he taken our sins from us. For this lady who thought that her life was going to be defined by the things that she'd done, by the way that she'd walked, by the way that she'd lived, Jesus says, I've taken that from the east to the west. He literally spread his hands out on the cross and took those things away. And because he'd done that, she loved him so much. And Jesus sees it. And he's able to speak those wonderful, precious truths over her life. And you can just start to imagine the impact Now, it doesn't mean that the rest of her life is going to be one smooth sailing. It doesn't mean that she's not going to fall back into some patterns or actions or behaviors which are not in accordance with God's will, but her life has changed course. She's done a full 180-degree turnabout from life, moving away from God, and now she's living a life towards him, towards his love and his hope and his joy. Because Jesus loved her. I hope that you know that. I hope that you know that in your heart as well. I hope that you've had that moment where you come to Jesus and recognize that you need him to help turn your life around as well. Okay, it might not be as dramatic as this, 
But if you haven't, he stands waiting. He's ready and willing to do the same for you, in a, perhaps in a smaller way, but just as significant a way as he did for this lady. To say those same words to him. If you, if you come to him, he'll say those same words to you, that your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Come to him. Trust in him. See that he is the one who gave his life to bring you back to God because he loves you so much. If you've never yet done that, don't delay a moment longer. Know that he loves you. Picture him there, perhaps, in front of you, just offering to pour out this love and this grace that he showed to her. He will show it to you as well. And maybe you have done that. Maybe you did that a while ago. Maybe your life did make that major course change and you've carried on from there. Well, isn't there a danger that we, if that's us, end up losing something of that love that the lady have and we start drifting back towards the attitude that Simon had? And we start to think that the things that have made us right with God or the ways that we've grown in the Lord are the things that we've done rather than the things that he's done for us. Isn't that the temptation that we start to build up our own image of ourselves and our observance of what God's called us to do and base our faith and build our relationship with him on that? A bit like Janet mentioned earlier when we were saying our confession in the prodigal son story, the difference between the son who runs away and knows he needs the father's forgiveness and comes back and finds it. And the older son who thinks he's all right with his father because he's kept all the rules and stayed with his father, but actually he doesn't love him. And he doesn't love the son. Well, the danger is as we go on in the Christian life that we lose something of that love that this lady had in that moment where she encountered Jesus. And instead we start to drift more towards the attitude of someone like a Simon who is trying hard, but he's building his relationship with the God on what he's done on the way that he is able to keep himself pure from others instead of what the love is that God has shown to him. Maybe this morning through this passage, God is saying to you, you don't need that full turning around. You've already done that. You've already given your life to Jesus, but actually you do need a bit of a course correction. You're drifting off, and we can all do it, drifting off back into a place where our faith and our life and our following of Jesus is built on what we do instead of what he's done for us. Maybe God is speaking through this chapter to you this morning to say, just come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. Rediscover that joy that comes from knowing a God who loves you. That no matter what your story has been, no matter what has brought you to this point today in life, no matter all the decisions and the turning points that have happened, whether they're your choices or other people's choices or things that no one could have decided, maybe God is bringing you to this point to say, come to me. Receive my love. Receive my grace. Receive my forgiveness. And live life my way. And discover or rediscover that joy of walking through life with him. Don't lose that picture. Don't lose that picture of Jesus looking at you and telling you that he loves you, that you're forgiven, that you have his deep, settled peace. Because it's there for you. It's there for all of us. And it always will be. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith 
has saved you. Go in peace.